Call the Midwife is a show that my mother and Jamie Cowan have been demanding that I watch for years. And I finally got wise, okay, and I started about a month ago. I have a long way to go. There are many seasons. The show is beautiful. It is heartbreaking. It tells the true story of the nuns and the nurses of Nanatis House who worked to deliver the babies of the impoverished East End of London during the 50s and 60s. Always on call, they swoop down narrow streets on bicycles at all hours, armed with birthing kits. Sometimes they are sent to beautifully kept bedrooms, and other times to the floor of a smelly barn. Every episode dances between stories of joy and healthy babies to stories of heartbreak. Birth is different for every woman. I have friends who have gone through birth looking like Beyonce, leaving the hospital almost floating on air, and I know you all know these women. I also have friends who have had to leave their sweet babies in the NICU for months, praying every day for an improvement. I told myself I was going to cry, but I also have friends who have had to go through the unthinkable pain of walking into a birthing room only to walk out without the, the baby that they had hoped and prayed and loved for so long. I'm sure that everyone in this room knows or has lived stories of loss and heartbreaking struggle, but we also all know stories of absolute magic. We had stairs full of them today. But no one knows all of these stories, quite like the people who end up devoting their lives to being in the birthing room. Perhaps no job on earth calls people to carry joy and sorrow more closely and often at the same time. To steal a quote from Call the Midwife, a midwife is in the thick of it. She sees it all. So why aren't midwives the heroines of society that they should be? Why do they have such a low profile? They ought to be lauded to the skies by everyone. My friend Jenna is one of these heroes. She's a transport and delivery nurse at St. David's. And every day she suits up, not onto a bicycle, but she hops into a helicopter, and she goes out and saves moms and babies, all while flying through the air. She's also part of a national hurricane team whose job it is to fly and save babies and moms during natural disasters. So I'm very glad you all asked. I will be happy to deliver any Starbucks or Target gift cards to her if you'd like me to. <laughs> she walks alongside people on the most terrifying days of their lives. And as a friend, I've been able to see up close just how much we ask of these people. I've gotten calls from Jenna on her way home, and she said, I just need you to distract me, okay? Today was a tough one. I asked Jenna what she's learned doing this incredibly stressful job, and she said, I think I've learned that all life is precious, and it deserves someone to fight for it, especially those who can't fight for themselves. There's a sense of fulfillment and fierce pride that I get when the skills that I've honed over the years, both physical and emotional, can lift the weight off of someone else. It's a lot to carry, but I'm very proud to do it. Perhaps we should add one more verse to our Romans verses from today. If your gift is bringing new life into the world and walking beside families during the unthinkable, become a midwife. Zephra and Pua had gifts, like my amazing friend. Their God-given gift was bringing in life. So it's no wonder that there was no choice for them but to defy a pharaoh who was asking them to kill instead of to birth. 
It was in direct opposition to the gifts and the skills that God had blessed them with. Rabbis and commentators have discussed, disagreed for centuries on Sifra and Pua's significance and identity. Many translators actually translate Hebrew midwives to the midwives of the Hebrew slaves, suggesting that Sifra and Pua were actually not Hebrew, but were Egyptian, which would make their defiance even more powerful. One commentary from the Talmud, a collection of commentary taken from the oral tradition, suggests that Sifra and Pua were actually Moses' mother and sister. Others propose that they just represent the two women who would play, play roles as midwives, one to help the mother during labor and the other to help during birth. There's also some disagreement on what God's giving them family means. Some believe this means that the midwives were barren and so God gave them children of their own, but others believe that they were established as a royal family, perhaps as priests and leaders in the community. All the speculation, the commentary, the translation, the disagreement, it's very interesting. You can dive real deep. But what do we actually know about these women? We know their names, and we know their actions. But did you know that Sifra and Pua's story is actually the very first act of civil disobedience that is recorded in written history? The ripple effect of their defiance led to a baby being born placed into a basket, saved from the water by the daughter of the man who was going to kill him, and this baby would later lead his people out of slavery. Do I think that with each baby they saved, they knew the ripple effect that their actions would be taking? No. And do I think that Sifra and Pua weren't at all terrified? No. I think that with each baby that they caught in their arms, the full-body truth of that baby's worth and value directed them to do the next right thing, to hand that baby directly back into its mother's waiting arms. If Sifra and Pua had copied the behaviors and the customs of their world, if they had instead feared Pharaoh more than they feared God, we would have a very different story. But instead, these women let the truth of the next right thing lead them to defy an empire. They were discerning the will of God simply by letting their gifts and doing what they knew in their bones was good, acceptable, and perfect. Listen, I really wish that God gave us a map or a blueprint for life. Life would be so much easier to navigate if we had a God who gave us a little post-it note every morning with a bulleted, my will be done for today, bulleted list. Well, we don't get a post-it note. God instead gives us tools. He's given us his word, the Holy Spirit, the example of Jesus, our church community, prayer, and our very own unique set of gifts and skills. These are the things that we use to fulfill our role in the body of Christ and to seek God's will in our lives. Perhaps at its most simplistic, we just need to do the next right thing. In Call the Midwife, there is an absolutely effervescent character whose name is Chummy. She is a clumsy, six-foot-one midwife who can barely walk through a room without knocking things over. She tries desperately to learn how to ride a bike, but she keeps falling over and over again, and this is an act that delights all of the neighborhood children who come to watch. She's kind and capable, but she has a crippling sense of self-doubt. 
On her very first call alone as a midwife, she is faced with a terrifying reality. The baby is breech, is coming out feet first. She's all alone, and the room is electric with the very real fear of what could happen. The baby could die. And so she is scared, and her hands are just shaking. But suddenly, she realizes what's at stake, the life of the baby that she is sent to bring into this world safely. So she steadies herself, she takes control of the situation, and step by step, she does what she has learned is the next right thing. She calls in the soon-to-be big brother of the baby. He's one of those neighborhood kids that have been making fun of her falling off of her bike. And she says, go and call the doctor. Realizing that she doesn't have time to wait, she directs the mother to the side of the bed. And the scene plays out with this terrifying, echoing silence as Chummy gathers all of her bravery to do what she knows is, is right. She delivers each foot, then the torso, then the shoulder and arms, the danger of a breech birth is that the head could get stuck in the birth canal. And I will save you all of those details. You're welcome. But you just need to know that this is the most scary part, okay? So Chummy suddenly transforms into this confident and sure version of herself. She's been coaching the mother calmly. And just as she is delivering the head, the doctor and one of the nuns burst through the door ready to step in and help, but then are able to step back and realize that she's done an amazing job. Suddenly, the room is filled with the sound of a baby crying, and all of that fear dissipates into joy. The, little, the big brother is so thankful that he becomes Chummy's biggest fan, and he helps her learn how to ride that bike beautifully. <laughs> Ripple effects that I doubt she saw coming. We call today Rally Day a special day where we rally around these precious, young, little weirdos, and we encourage them into their next year of school. Maybe our hands and theirs are shaking a little bit. After all, there is a lot of fear right now in and around our school systems. We're afraid of gun violence. We're afraid of drugs that are laced with fentanyl. We're afraid of this new generation and their crazy new ideas. There's bullies, heartbreak, mean teachers, mental health struggles, standardized tests, and some people are trying to bring low-rise jeans back into fashion. <laughs> Don't let it happen. It's scary out there. The truth of it all is that fear it's not new. We are afraid of the evil in this world having a negative lasting effect on our beautiful, beautiful babies. We are afraid of all the things that could go wrong, and it feels very bleak sometimes. But that is exactly why fear is not of God. Fear hides in the corner of our brains, whispers the scariest possibilities imag imaginable, and it makes us lose sight of our deeper truth, that there is another actor at play, the will of God, a God who loves us and who works all together for good. And if we have a fear, a respect, a trust of that God, then just like the midwives in our story today, we can breathe and do the next right thing. We have to because we are called to be the feet and maybe the shaking hands of Christ in this world. That is how we worship God, with our lives. Our Romans reading for 
for today, it stopped at verse 8. But I just want to leave you with some of the rest of the chapter, as I think it gives us almost a little post-it note for our days coming up here. Um, I invite you to just close your eyes if you'd like, and maybe imagine how these next right things could be applied to your own personal life this week. Perhaps one phrase will stand out. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong, but hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Don't curse them, but pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. And don't think you know it all. Never pay back evil with more evil and do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, you feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Evil and fear, they will always be right there in the corner, on the computer screen, in the birthing room, in the classroom, or on the cold marble floor in front of a pharaoh's throne. That evil is real, but we serve a God who takes our next right things and works them together for good. Thy will be done. Amen.